3: What happened last night in that Tampa Bay New Orleans game? Will Nicole Hardman ever put together a wide receiver two season? And is Mark Andrews a reason to cause panic? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, RotoViz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. How's it going, Matt?
1: Uh, it's going pretty well. You know, we had a lot happen this past week and uh, continue to be really impressed with Patrick Mahomes. Um, and we talked about him on last week's show, and how I thought he was probably undervalued in the MVP market. And he just continues to play at an MVP level. And now that Russ uh, Russell Wilson didn't play as well last week, people are starting to come around on Mahomes as you know a potential candidate for this season. And uh, I mean, I th- I still think there's probably value uh, in his number, but I've you know I've just been impressed by how how well the Chiefs have done. In a very under the radar fashion, like everyone has kind of been focused on, uh, obviously, you know, let Russ cook on Aaron Rodgers returning to form uh, on, you know, a lot of other things like Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. But I mean, through nine weeks now, the team that I think has consistently looked the most impressive has still been, I mean, big surprise, the Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs.
3: Yeah, I mean, certainly there has been um, just so many good things that you could say coming out of Kansas City. We will likely talk about them in a little bit, but first I want to quickly hit on some of the injuries Uh, So for Denver, Albert O, and you have learned how to say the last name correctly. I still don't think I'm there, so I'm not going to see it. But with an ACL injury appears to be out for the season. Noah Fant is also banged up. This is a team with a lot of young players in their receiving and tight end core. I'm not sure, though, if the Albert O injury shakes things up all that much. But I'm going to give you a couple seconds here to talk about any potential ramifications of Fant being banged up as well.
1: Yeah, I think uh, his last name is Okuebunam. But uh, anyway, yeah, very sad to see the injury because he was playing very well uh, before the injury. Uh, hopefully, he's able to recover and uh, he can, you know, have a chance to break out in his second season. Uh, I think this might mean just more opportunities for everyone else. Uh, Jerry Judy looked really good last week. KJ Hamler has started to flash. Hopefully those two guys are able to capitalize uh, and obviously it sucks if uh, Noah Fant is also banged up, but hopefully those two guys are able to capitalize on the opportunities that the uh, tight end void will present them.
3: Yep. Uh, LaVisca Chennault Jr. Suffered a hamstring injury. It looks like he should be okay. He might miss week 10. We are going to talk a little bit about Jacksonville's receiving court coming up so we can touch upon any ramifications of that later. Oh, man, Matt, that Kyle Allen injury, the quarterback of the Washington football team, pretty gruesome. And now we have Alex Smith stepping into the fold for the Washington football team. Any analysis for us as to what this might mean within that offense?
1: Uh, I think it probably means even more good things for Terry McLaurin, although it's not as if uh, McLaurin was playing badly with uh, Kyle Allen, but, um, you know, Alex Smith is. Probably the most competent quarterback uh, in that organization. I don't think that's a stretch, even though, um, you know, at this point, he doesn't have much of a live arm and, you know, he can't really move all that well either. I still think he's the best quarterback. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of excited to see what that means for McLaurin. Like, I think McLaurin has a low key shot still to lead the league in receiving by the end of it. So, uh, I'm I'm hoping that that's what happens, and I have I have a ticket on it happening, so that's what I'm <laughs> ready for.
3: Yeah, well, I definitely think that um, if you're somebody that owns McLaurin or any of these other players in that offense, I, I think that it's it's unlikely, in my opinion, that this is something that shakes out poorly for them. Perhaps it doesn't improve their situation that much, but. This was really the first significant action we've seen for Smith now for years. Came in, completed 24 of 32 passes, 75% completion rate, threw for 325 yards, 10.2 yards per attempt, one touchdown, did throw the three picks. But you would have to assume that as he gets more comfortable playing, gets infused more into the game, he might progress a little bit. So uh I don't think it's anything to panic about. Hopefully uh it'd be really cool to see Smith put together a great finish to the season. Uh not an yeah, injury oh go ahead random, yep.
1: random insertion. I would love to see him uh win, come back player of the year, and then just retire.
3: Okay. Yeah, that would be a, that would be an interesting one. Um Nick Chubb expected back at practice this week Uh, what do you think this does in terms of Kareem Hunt's production? Do you think that the team will throw Chubb right back into the mix quickly? or Do you think that we're going to see a little bit of a, uh, period of transition getting Chubb back in and involved?
1: I think Chubb pretty quickly, uh, gets back to his old role, which means that Kareem Hunt, uh, reverts back to his former role of being, you know, a kind of super change of pace back as a runner and the, uh, the primary guy in the backfield is a receiver. So he still has value, but not the value that um, we were hoping he would have when he was the clear lead back.
3: Yeah, I, I kind of um am not really sure if I'm somebody that owns Hunt, what I'm doing with him in that transition period. I mean, his target totals, not that Chubb is really going to impact those, but he's only been around three or four targets going back to week five. His attempts were in that, you know, maybe like average of 15, 16 type of range. I mean, that could very easily move back down to seven, eight attempts. Uh, And you're looking at a player that could be tough to trust on a weekly basis um, unless things play out in a way where he's able to be more efficient, perhaps, once Chubb gets back and involved. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, unfortunately, looks like he could be suffering with some injuries again. I actually had read that there are potential Uh, of a rib injury as well as a shoulder injury. More outlets seem to be reporting the shoulder injury. It's unclear if he could miss time, uh, but that's definitely notable. Uh, We're going to talk about Mike Davis and the Panthers in a little bit, so we can probably uh, break that down a little bit more if we need then. David Johnson in the concussion protocol, David Montgomery, and Jack Doyle. Um, Let's take a minute, though, to talk about Duke Johnson, who actually performed pretty well filling in for uh David Johnson when he exited the game against the Jaguar. So in um a game where he easily got his highest usage of the season, finished with 17.3 PPR points, 16 rushing attempts uh for 41 yards, four or four receiving for 32 yards, did get a rushing touchdown. Question becomes here, Matt, if David Johnson can't play and you're somebody with Duke Johnson rostered, how much is it reasonable to expect from him? in a second game is another 17 point performance realistic.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think it's within the, the range of outcomes. Um, He had, I believe a a career high in you know, market share and carries. Um, So you never want to project someone for something close to their career high, but at the same time, there are no other running backs on that roster. Uh, I'm imagining that they will uh, have CJ pro size and elevate him from the practice squad, but I mean, even then uh, he has what, like one, two carries this year. Um, Even if they give him five carries, which that still feels like a lot, but even if they do that, you could still see Duke Johnson end up with, you know, 12 to 16 carries and still get a lot of targets. So uh, yeah, I mean this, I don't want to say that this feels like what we hoped um, we would see out of Chase Edmonds last week,
3: but it's a very similar scenario. For sure. And yeah, CJ ProSice with just one rushing attempt this year. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, and then David Montgomery, let's say that he can't play next weekend. What in the world are the Bears gonna do? Is it Ryan all season? Uh maybe,
1: but I mean, why wouldn't why wouldn't it be Cordarell Patterson season?
3: Because that I mean, would just make too much sense, right?
1: That's where I think that's where we are. Okay. Um, I mean, he gets he gets more traditional carries than Ryan Nall anyway. Um, we have seen the Patriots use him as a running back before. Uh, that's not to say that just because one team did it that the Bears will do it now. But um, I mean, he's out of all of the guys that they have, he's sort of like the next running back up.
3: And I think that we've talked about it before. The fact that Cordell Patterson probably could be a decent running back in yeah. the NFL. Like I really think if a team used him routine, you know, like when Ty Montgomery was getting usage as a running back, that's the type of usage. I always felt like Cordell Patterson should be getting, especially on a team that can do some dynamic things. Like I feel like Andy Reid would be able to use Cordell Patterson in a really cool way. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, You heard it from Matt Coral Patterson might be a player to go after the only other injury note that I had Preston Williams could miss time with a foot injury, which perhaps opens up some opportunity for uh, Grant or another player in that Dolphins offense. Um, You know, not really something that I think is going to get people too excited, but probably something to pay attention for if you're in a very deep league Let's move yeah, I mean, on. The one thing I would say okay, to, yep. to pay
1: attention to is if like, if you have Devonte Parker and you're thinking that this might be an opportunity where he gets extra targets, like maybe he will get those extra targets, but this week he's probably going to be going against Casey Hayward Jr. for most of the game. And that is a very tough matchup.
3: Oh, great point there. All right. As you can see, Matt has been hard at work on that uh, wide receiver cornerback matchup, uh, yes. which people definitely, yeah. when does that publish Matt?
1: Uh, that normally comes out on Monday nights,
3: Monday nights. Okay. Yeah. I cannot recommend, uh, highly enough that you go check that out. Uh, let's just hit some notables from the games this weekend. Uh, my first question here is how ugly was that game last night between new Orleans and Tampa Bay, which I was very excited to sit down and watch and it just never even got going.
1: Uh, so ugly that I'm glad I didn't watch it. Um, you know, that's, that's how ugly it was. But, um, yeah, I mean, just the numbers, they're unfathomable. Uh, the bucks ran the ball only like four times, four and times. Then I yep. think they had a, a kneel down maybe at the end to, to get it to five, but, uh, they just could not get anything going. Uh, it was a total disaster. And if you are, uh, an Antonio Brown hater, this was like the ultimate for what you would have wanted. Uh, a team that looks great. And then all of a sudden Antonio Brown joins the team. He gets on the field and they can't do anything. Uh, not to say that this is all like Antonio Brown's fault, but, um, I mean, if for everyone who hates Antonio Brown, this is uh this was the dream scenario.
3: Yeah. So Antonio Brown, three of five for 31 yards for net godwin evans and gronk had six targets so that five for antonio brown shows that already brady was looking to get him pretty involved i thought that brown looked fine in the usage that he did see and for somebody that has not played in a while was looking like uh a decent approximation of what you might have expected out of antonio brown had he not had this amount of layoff between games um But yeah, it's hard to really know what you can expect from Tampa Bay because as bad as this game was, and perhaps this offense isn't going to live up to what you might expect when you look at that list of players on it for the rest of the season, but it's hard to imagine them remaining this poor for the rest of the season. Uh, I do think, though, it would be fair if somebody's concerned about what they can expect from Godwins, Evans, Gronk and brown um it doesn't seem likely that any of them are going to be able to run away and be getting like 12 13 targets a game um but i think that we really can't read too much into this one game because it does seem kind of like an outlier overall yes correct OK, uh, <laughs> I was looking for my crickets, but Matt. I couldn't find it in time. Um, clearly nothing to add there because it was so ugly. So let's just flip over to the Saints side of the equation. Michael Thomas went five to six for 51 yards. Um, Traquan Smith, Emmanuel Sanders find the end zone. Uh, before I press on to talking about Adam Troutman, let's uh, see. Did you have any thoughts about the receivers given uh, the numbers that they posted last night?
1: No, not really. I mean, it was it's hard to know because they didn't really even get the full amount of playing time that they would if the game had been kept close. But, you know, it looks like uh, what we would expect just in terms of like the typical kind of rotation of how the guys are being used. Um, I think you know Michael Thomas clearly slots in as the the number one receiver, even though you saw Emmanuel Sanders and Traquan Smith get some production when Thomas was out. Um, it's interesting. It looks like they're going to be using Traquan Smith a little bit more in the slot and have Sanders more on the perimeter. Um, they had kind of flipped that at certain points during the season. But uh, yeah, I mean, all three of those guys are intriguing. Um, I think Sanders and, and Smith will have fantasy value, but it will be inconsistent. Like, I don't think either one of them should be dropped. Um, I think they have to be rostered and maybe they can be used as, uh, you know, kind of upside plays when you're desperate. Um, But it will be hard to rely on them, but they, they should be rostered. Thomas is, I mean, obviously back to being the guy.
3: Yeah, for sure. And like you said, I think the game last night prevented him from getting the usage that we might see in other weeks. So we had Adam Troutman go three of three, score a touchdown. Um, this really was the first game that he got much involvement at all. I think a couple of weeks ago, he might've seen one target here or there. Uh, so three of three for 39 in the touchdown. Yeah, just seven targets on the season. I think it's encouraging that you saw him come in and be able to do that. We don't really have that much of a sample that we can read into, uh, but let's keep in mind that I believe Jared Cook is only signed with the Saints through 2020. He's an unrestricted free agent in 2021. Um, we really don't have much we can go off of, but do you just want to give us any quick thought on if Troutman seems exciting given that one game last night?
1: Eh, I mean, it, it was in a 38-3 to blowout, so I'm I'm not putting too much on it, and this feels like... Drew Brees' last year. I mean, I don't think they've like come right out and said it, but it wouldn't be a surprise if it's last if it's his last year. So uh I don't know. Am I excited about Troutman uh next year with the quarterback? We don't know who that is. Like maybe it's Jameis Winston, maybe it's not I don't know. Like I'm I'm not that excited.
3: Fair enough. Uh Big game for Richie James against the Packers. Yes. 184 and a touchdown. I do believe that you've been doing some uh, research on Richie James. Do you want <laughs> to talk to talk us about
1: him? Uh, I, I wouldn't say research just as much as... Uh, no, I'm just going to make some sort of inappropriate joke, but I, I, I won't go there. But uh, anyway, yes, uh, Richie James. Uh, I, I don't know. Like This feels like it, it has a better chance of being legit than most kind of random one-off games that come out of nowhere Uh, because even though he hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities in previous seasons on a per target basis, James has always been pretty efficient Uh, in college. He was a very efficient player. Um, I don't know. Like I think given uh, what we've seen out of Kendrick Bourne and then now that like Bourne is back on the COVID list, James is probably going to slot in uh, as like the number two or number three. Uh, And if Bourne is gone, then I think he's definitely the number two behind Brandon Ayuk. Um, But uh, I mean, maybe he honestly kind of plays like the Ayuk role to Ayuk, who at this point would be playing more of the Debo Samuel role, but there might be enough opportunities for both of those guys to produce, especially now that like Kittle is out of the picture. Uh, So I don't know. I'm I'm intrigued. Like normally I would say a guy like this has, you know, like a near zero percent chance of turning into someone who's actually productive Uh, with Richie James. I think it might be closer to like a three, (laughs) maybe a five percent chance of being someone who's productive, which like that doesn't sound like a lot, but that actually is a pretty significant edge.
3: So if I'm to read into this, does that mean that you are advocating for him as somebody on the waiver wire that people should be considering?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would say like if you were forward looking enough, especially like in Dynasty, you maybe would have already picked him up. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's the possibility that he actually ends up being a pretty decent contributor for the rest of the
3: season got it big game for jerry judy as you alluded to sorry here's one thing yep. i should say
1: like this is like a, it's a deeper league thing like with richie james you know like it has to be a deeper league thing if it if it's 10 team or even if it's 12 team with shallow rosters uh probably not Maybe Fair enough not, but
3: yeah okay i just want to contextualize it i uh, i think we all appreciate that uh big game for jerry judy 7 of 14 targets for 125 yards and a touchdown we've started talking now about judy pretty frequently i just wanted to highlight this as i do believe this is one of those types of rookie performances that you do want to take note of he had a couple plays uh there was one in particular he ran a really nice route along the sideline caught a pass made a move made a guy miss uh and it does look like we're starting to be able to see a lot of those things that you in particular are expecting start to translate into his game so just another thing that's encouraging for judy
1: I, I love it and the the route.
3: Uh, I think I know the
1: one you're talking about. He already knew he beat the guy like seconds before uh, the ball was thrown. So like he's running the route. It looks like it's just a regular route, and he throws his hand up, being like, "Hey, you yes, better fucking yes. throw me the ball." Yep. and then like and then he stops on the route, and the guy just runs by him. He catches the ball, and then he makes a move on the guy. Like he's he is already looking uh like very polished. Like I don't, I mean. OK, I don't want to like blaspheme by saying like Antonio Brown or anything like that, but you know like how how crisp and clean Brown was at his peak in his route running and how it seemed like he could just separate at will from whoever was covering him. Not to say Judy has that, but like it looked like flashes of that, like that is potentially what Judy could develop into based on what we saw out of him at his best last week.
3: For sure. Um, yeah, smooth was like the thing I was going to say, like everything he did just looks so fluid. And then like the stop and start on that play that you referenced, which was the one I was talking about, was yeah. just like really well done. And there was a couple other plays too, where it was just like, you could tell he was getting the defender to move where he wanted them to. Um, so all just like really, really encouraging stuff. Uh, moving along. Here's, oh here yep, Here's a go question.
1: Ahead. Okay. So Bring it back to Dynasty. I know we've had some questions before. Jerry Judy versus CD Lamb. Where are you on on that? Cuz I I know early in the year everyone was on the CD Lamb train, but now maybe that started to shift a little bit a little bit back towards Judy. Do you have thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I do. Um I think that it's starting to come a little bit closer because we have this weird thing now where you know CD Lamb was looking so strong, now he has less competent quarterback play. And we've seen that impact all of the receivers in the Cowboys offense. So it's kind of understandable, but at the same time, it's not like Judy is getting this fantastic quarterback play either. So I think it's really encouraging that you're able to see him in a way, overcome a lot of odds and find ways to contribute. Um, And it looks like, you know, we're starting to just see the tip of the iceberg of what he can do. So I mean, I still think it's possible that both of them are really, really good. But I would agree now that an adjustment has to be made and you start to say, okay, these two probably are as, maybe not, well, they might be as close as things seemed when they were coming out of school. It's just hard to tell right now. But I do think with the success that we have seen from some other wide receivers in this class, though, we probably don't want to throw out our priors just yet and think that those guys have necessarily caught up to Judy or Lamb, what we've seen, because uh, like it's starting to feel like the pieces are falling into place for Judy very much. Yeah, I mean Justin
1: Jefferson is is in the conversation, and he yep. probably always should have been, um, but you know maybe he's like the number three guy to them. But you know I'm thinking of Jefferson and what we saw him do once he moved out of the slot to the perimeter, and it's something very similar to what we've seen out of Judy, who started the season in the slot, the past two games. He's moved and played on the perimeter, and KJ Hamler has played in the slot. And uh, I don't think it's just a coincidence that we have seen Judy really start to develop the past two weeks.
3: Yeah, certainly. And I also think the the other thing too that helps for Judy is at the beginning of the season, it seemed like this Denver offense was just going to really struggle. Now, that's not to say that this team has all of a sudden become a juggernaut, but there are other players like Hamler. They got Noah Fant there. Other, you know, talented players that are around him too, which I think will be helpful for his development. Um, It would appear that Jake Ludden is a fan of DJ Chark. They connected on a 73-yard touchdown. Chark went 7-12 for 146 and a touchdown this is the first game for the Jaguars without Gardner Minshew. Do you think that it's dangerous to read too much into this, this one performance and say, okay, Chark is going to be his guy. He's going to ascend and be at the top of that target totem pole there, followed by Conley, followed by Cole, and followed by Chenault. Um Maybe I not think, in that order.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it helps that uh, you know, Chenault uh, is out. But I yeah, I mean I would say Shark looks like the guy, but I don't want to read too much into it because it was a situation where uh, the Texans, I think, you know, kind of like almost by surprise, uh, were without uh, their number one cornerback, Bradley Roby. Uh, And so normally they use him to shadow the number one opposing receiver because they know that the rest of their cornerbacks are so bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so without him. Shark had free reign against Vernon Hargraves II and Philip Gaines. Uh, and you know not a coincidence that those were the guys that he really tore up, like especially Vernon Hargraves. He had the 73yard uh, the touchdown on Hargraves. Um, so you know, part of it is just having an exceptional matchup, but of course, he also had all of that target volume. so that certainly counts for something.
3: Got it. Um, I'm kind of of the opinion that behind him, It's just really kind of like a crapshoot on a week to week basis, which other wide receiver might get involved. Um, I'm not sure, though, if I would necessarily like drop. Well, I don't know. It's hard to say. It really depends on the context of your team there. Um, But I guess my closing thought would be I don't think it's out of the range of possibility that we do see a couple more good games from the other wide receivers on the team. No, I,
1: I wouldn't I wouldn't drop Chenault. I would be fine dropping Cole yep. and uh and Chris
3: Conley, especially. Conley has been um kind of trending down um from a couple of like team metrics that you could look at too. So I th- I think that's probably fair. Uh it looks like Carolina has finally discovered the utility of Curtis Samuel. Nine of nine for 105 yards and a touchdown, three rushes for 13 yards. Is this the type of thing that we expect to continue? And also, if McCaffrey's out, you have to think that also incentivizes the Panthers to continue to use Samuel, not only in the passing game, but in creative ways out of the backfield.
1: Yeah, I I don't know, to be honest. Uh, part of it is that um, the, the Chiefs are better uh, on their perimeter defense. They're actually pretty good, surprisingly, against wide receivers where they tend to funnel the ball toward the middle of the field. So normally that helps uh, running backs. That helps tight ends. And maybe this is an instance where uh, because Curtis Samuel plays in the slot, he was just able to get more targets funneled his direction. But it certainly is encouraging. Uh, he was highly efficient with the opportunities he had. Um I would like to see him continue to get opportunities, but I hate to say that because I don't want it to come at the expense of DJ Moore. And it it feels like that's, that's what's going to happen. Like Robbie Anderson is going to continue to get his no matter what. And any other week, it's going to be either Curtis Samuel or DJ Moore who gets the shot to be the number two guy. But I don't think there, uh, there will be enough opportunities to go around for all three of those guys to be consistently productive
3: yeah unfortunately that is probably the case uh it's probably also worth noting mike davis just one rush still did see six targets obviously if McCaffrey cannot continue to play uh davis probably is going to be in uh starting consideration for a lot of people granted he did calm or cool down a lot versus those first three or four games that we saw from him when he was filling in for McCaffrey. i also don't think that people should be dropping davis or if you did drop him that was Certainly a mistake not. that was a mistake yeah,
1: I'm- yeah. Every, I mean, a lot of people dropped him, which was a massive mistake. Even if uh, McCaffrey hadn't been injured, that still would have been a mistake.
3: Yeah. Um, Darno Mooney, um, 11 targets actually led the bears. And um, I have not talked about it, but for anybody out there, that does not check out all of the articles on the site, I have one that's been coming out on Friday. It's called the three and out. And I would recommend that you check it out because within it, I have this embedded tool that has a lot of really like quick visual ways to view different trends on a team in terms of targets, in terms of expected points. uh, Also where on the field players are getting targeted uh, in what situations they're getting targeted as well as like a very extensive breakdown um, on normally more than half of the teams each week. So it's worth checking out. But I bring that up because from looking at this now for a couple of weeks, it's been clear to me that Darnell Mooney is managing to get fairly involved and in decent quality situations for the Bears. As I said, we saw him get 11 targets, only converted five of those for 43 yards, uh, but also 117 air yards, has gone over 100 air yards now for three games. So I think that he's a player worth looking for that could still be available on your teams. Uh, you know, he's not going to outplay Allen Robinson, but he has been challenging Anthony Miller. Uh, so he's a name that I think is worth keeping in mind. Uh, he,
1: he feels like a majorly redacted player in the Josh Hermsmeyer model. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he's, he's getting the air yards and I'd say it's not his fault. He he's getting the air yards. He looks like a decent player. It's just that his his targets are so inaccurate. Um, there's just not the connection between Mooney and Foles uh, that even though he's getting the targets and so he sort of gets the credit for the air yards, they are relatively empty air yards because they are predictably not turning into production.
3: All right. Well, that, that, that is a fair perspective as well. Um, I guess we should probably ask the question, though. These other players on the team... Um, would you say that their air yards are not empty?
1: I, I would say that they are empty. Yeah. So for the most part, though, I would say there's a, a difference with Alan Robinson because he's yep. not targeted quite as far down the field and he's just better also in contested catch situations. But because Mooney is targeted further down the field, like he gets all of those air yards, but he has like a very limited chance of converting those air yards into chunk
3: plays. Yeah. Perfectly fair. Let me ask you this though, Matt. Um, I feel like between Mooney Robinson and Anthony Miller, there actually is some talent there with the right quarterback. Do you think that this would be an offense where we could see all three of them be guys that fantasy players might be interested in? Or is that just me for whatever reason, liking these bears receivers more than I should?
1: Uh, I mean, they, they have talent. Uh, I just don't think that that offense would ever be explosive enough to, um, to lift all three guys to consistency. It's, I mean, it's kind of similar to what we see in Carolina uh, where they have three wide receivers. We really like, but they can't all be reliable. (laughs) Um, you know, so it's like a similar situation, except much, much worse, uh, because of, of the the coordinator, uh, potentially, and then also the quarterback. So, I mean, yeah, like we can look at them and say like, okay, in a vacuum, all of these guys are interesting, but together they cannot all live.
3: Yeah. And then to your point about the air yard. So if you look at Mooney's targets, only three of 10 from beyond 15 on the left side has gone four for four in the middle of the field, but then on the right side, only one of eight on throws beyond 15. So there definitely has been a struggle there. What an odd game that was between Dallas and Pittsburgh, uh, before I even get into specifics, (laughs) anything that really stood out to you in that game, other than it was just surprising.
1: Uh, I mean the Cowboys, I still feel that they're not that good. I mean, that's probably not that big of a surprise to think that. Um, but I mean, they didn't do much on offense. Uh, they kicked a lot of field goals. So it was good that their defense was much better. That was, I th- I think, like really the unit uh that stood out. But I don't know, there there wasn't really anything that was kind of all that surprising in the game. Um, the I thought the offense, I guess the most surprising part was just that the defense was good. That was what was surprising. But the offense I didn't think actually looked all that good.
3: All right, fair enough. Well, we are gonna talk about the Steelers' offense. Uh, in a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick moment to hear from one of our sponsors. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31. Hello, folks. Colm Kelly here from RotoViz Overtime,
0: a podcast I host along with Sean Siegel. And in just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a RotoViz NFL pass right now on the RotoViz.com website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools. All you have to do is add the code 2020RVRadio at checkout or by going to RotoViz.com forward slash podcast for more information. And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can write and review on your favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate
1: that. As I mentioned at the start, His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it
3: out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. So, I think that the Steelers have three good receivers, possibly four good receivers. However, they just have a preference for Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson. Claypool, 13 targets. Johnson, 10. Juju did manage to score a touchdown, saw seven targets, was most productive in terms of yards per reception. So I feel like we're at this point now with Juju Smith-Schuster, Matt, where he's managing to produce fantasy points, which is encouraging. And I think that he does have a usefulness for fantasy players, but long-term I think we have enough information to opine that he is going to be playing behind Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool when they are available for Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, I I think that's accurate. Although, like, I, so last week we talked about how, like, I was rather pessimistic um, because although Juju had more target volume, uh, he had basically the same efficiency on a yards per target basis uh, over the past two weeks as he had for the entire season. Uh, this week, we actually did see him produce, you know, much more efficiently, and he still had seven targets, which you know was better than the average of what he was doing the first five games of the season. Uh, and so, I don't want to put too much weight on what he's done over the past three weeks, uh, and I, I do think that he probably is behind uh, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, but I I think it might be a fairly Fluid situation where, in any one week, one of those guys can be the one who dominates. And even if by dominate, we mean like Juju gets more targets, but he doesn't really do anything all that special with the targets, he still might see enough targets to be able to hit a thousand yards receiving at the end of the season. Like that's, and that's not great. Like that would certainly be a disappointment based on where you drafted him and what we saw out of him two years ago. But you know, if he has like a thousand, like a thousand ish yards and you know, like he could hit eight touchdowns. If he does that, that's not a horrible season. It's just not the season we wanted.
3: Right. Um, unfortunately for people out there, I feel like we're probably going to end up talking about this Steelers receiving game every single week before the season ends. So maybe I'll just preemptively say right now, we're going to take next week off talking about them. Uh, Let's talk about a, yeah, yeah, let's talk about a former Steeler, Le'Veon Bell has not done very much with Kansas City on a go forward basis for the rest of the season. Matt, do you think we should expect, expect much of anything from Le'Veon Bell?
1: No, which is really disappointing. Um, Because you could have envisioned a scenario in which he came in and he did quite a bit as a receiver uh, and got goal line work. Uh, But that just hasn't materialized. But he's been enough of a a thorn in the side of Clyde Edwards-Alaire really to limit the upside of the rookie. Uh, And so it's a total worst-case scenario. And like he's not even doing what Sean McCoy did last year in spurts You know, like there were there were games where McCoy was actually viable. We just haven't seen anything close to that from Le'Veon Bell yet, uh, which is immensely disappointing. And you know, maybe with the team going into the bye in Week Ten, they come out of it, uh, and and Bell just has a stronger command of the offense. You know that, but that's like a super optimistic way of viewing how this might go. The more realistic scenario is that. We see Bell do a little bit better than what he's done so far, just because like, he would have to do better. I'd say both in terms of like him as a talent and then also just picking up the offense. But even if he does a little bit better, that's still not enough to make him intriguing.
3: Yeah. And I think one of the things that you really have to pay attention to is that Edwards Alaire has disappointed and Bell is disappointed in his time there. So if you are somebody that acquired Bell or maybe you had him and you're in a position where you need to turn some players on your team and you're holding on to Bell with the possibility that maybe things turn around and all of a sudden he becomes this very useful player, I would say that probability is extremely small. So if you're holding on to him and you really shouldn't be, I don't know if that's something you should be doing. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Kalen Balazs, 69 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown for the chargers. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, should people have any interest in going out and getting Kalen Bellage this week?
1: Uh, I mean, maybe it was, it was a nice performance. Um, it looks like any guy who escapes from Adam Gase, uh, in New York or Miami just, uh, ends up becoming a star. Um, but yeah, if Justin Jackson is out, uh, it really looks like there's the opportunity there with uh, Troy, Mo- Troy, Troy, Main, Troy, Maine, Troy, I, Maine. I really butchered that name with Troy, Maine, Troy, Troy, Maine out. Uh, let's, I mean, let's be sure that to include this in the show. People are going to want to hear what just happened.
3: Absolutely. Uh,
1: with Pope out. Um, it's a situation where the team doesn't really seem to want uh, Joshua Kelly to be super involved at this point, And like Balazs clearly played ahead of him. So, uh, yeah. I mean, Belage might be a guy who ends up being worth something. And and by the way, like he was a really good receiver in college. And like we've seen sometimes that guys who were good receivers in college just do absolutely nothing in the NFL. But like there might be some hidden ability there where, uh, they actually decide to use him a little bit more as a receiver. Uh, and then all of a sudden he just ends up having, you know, like hundred yard games
3: with, uh, you know, combined yardage of rushing and receiving. Well, just a quick reminder for everybody out there. He was an athletic guy that profiled as an explosive type of player. Uh, and there was always this feeling that maybe he just needed to get a shot and he could kind of surprise. I'm not going to read too much into this one game. Um, But at this point in the season, I actually think that he's a guy as crazy, it feels to say, to tell people to go out and try to get Kalen Balaj. I mean, I'm not saying use a tremendous amount of your budget that you have available, but if you think you could get him for a low dollar bid, bid, I don't see any reason not to toss that in. All right, Matt, let's turn to some long-term questions here. Um, We haven't talked about AJ Brown extensively. He has been very solid. We've talked about his teammate DK Metcalf and how high we are on him. How close to AJ Brown's ceiling do you think that we are at? And if we're not close to it, how high is it?
1: I mean, I think we're we're pretty close there.
3: Like he's doing his best
1: uh, DK Metcalf impersonation, <laughs> you know, where he's like getting a uh, hundred yards or or a touchdown uh, every game. Um, You know, since he returned from injury in week five, he literally does have a a touchdown every game Uh, and every game this year, he has uh, at least seven targets. It's a situation where last year he had outstanding efficiency uh, on very little volume. And so the big question was uh, in a run heavy offense, would he see the targets needed to sustain his production? And I mean, we would obviously still love to see him get more targets, which is why I would say he's not yet at the ceiling because like for a guy to be at his ceiling, like he needs to have sustained high target share. Uh, And we're just not quite there with Brown, which is what makes him all the more intriguing that he has still maintained his outrageous efficiency um, even though his target volume has grown. And even though it could grow further. So Uh, If he is able to get, you know, he's had an average of eight targets uh, per game over this five game stretch. If over the course of the season, he's able to bump that up to something like closer to nine. Then, I mean, I mean, the the ceiling is uh, nearly unrivaled at that point, as long as he's able to maintain his efficiency. But so, like, yes, like we are we are near the ceiling, um, but in order for it to be like a solid ceiling, he still needs more volume.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, just for a little perspective here, he ranks nine in PPR per game. He is at 17 among wide receivers and expected points per game. But like you said, has been It has been efficient. Ranked six in fantasy points over expectation per game. Like you, I'm not sure that there is a lot of scenarios in which he can climb much higher in that uh, expected points number playing in Tennessee. But I think the thing that I'm really focusing right now on is when you look at these numbers from AJ Brown and how consistent he's been, what we know about his profile, he definitely feels like a player that this is going to continue for some time. Let's turn our attention now to Will Fuller of the Houston Texans. We've gotten a strong season out of Fuller, ranked 16 in PPR per game, um, has been a wide receiver one three times, wide receiver two twice. The obvious knock and the thing that people worry about Fuller every season has been if he can stay healthy. For the most part, he's done it this year. That injury discount or that discount that people have in their mind on Fuller, do you think that people should adjust for that now? Or is it fair for fantasy owners to still be scared of that perception with Fuller? I, I
1: think it's still fair. Um, and I would say he's played at, it's weird. He's played at something that is close to a peak level, even though he hasn't had nearly the volume that we would have wanted him to have. I mean, he's pacing for only like 104 targets for the year. Like that is very minuscule, Uh, but he's still pacing for, you know, almost like 1200 yards and 12 touchdowns. Um, So the fact that he's doing this without the volume is a little bit scary. And then of course the fact that uh, he's a guy who relies on his speed and isn't big and uh, he does have the history of injuries, Long term, it makes me want to want to sell, even though I, I have him in Dynasty. Uh, I'm a you know big fan of his talent. I just am a little bit worried. And then he's also, I think, slated to be a free agent after this year. So I, I just like we don't know what the future holds for him. Uh, maybe he goes to a team that pays him lots of money, but just has a really bad quarterback situation, like, like Allen <laughs> Robinson or something like that, you know? Uh, and all of a sudden a guy who looks like, uh, someone who could be, you know, a league winner each week, uh, is now just like, uh, a low end wide receiver three with upside. Well, he's, um, you yeah. so I would say long-term, uh, I
3: probably want to sell, I can kind of understand that perspective. So this, this season, like you said, he has been really efficient. He's outpacing his expected points per game rank by 30 points. He's been one of the most efficient wide receivers. Um, you know, and you do kind of wonder if he really does, if he really is for whatever reason, more prone to injury than other players, is he in like that sweet spot of volume and would you not want him to go above it? I don't really know, but you make a good point about the fact that it kind of feels like we're getting the best version of Fuller that we might be able to get. So I could understand the idea of trying to sell when uh, you're going to be able to get probably the highest price for him we've seen in some time. Um, let's also talk about his teammate, Brandon cooks. And I think that it's, it's interesting to look at what cooks has been doing, especially since week five, he's been very solid ranks 35th among wide receivers in points per game. Uh, but a lot of people did not really know what to do with Brandon cooks at the beginning of the season. I think that It's easy to feel pretty encouraged about him. He's gone for more than nine targets every week since week five, three touchdowns in that stretch, Um, a low yardage total of 60 receiving yards. And I just think that, in my opinion, he's outplayed what I was expecting. So from a long term perspective, Matt, uh, where are you right now on Brandon Cooks?
1: I'm pretty optimistic. Um, it's, It's hard to know what we should make of this team long-term because there's going to be a new coaching staff. Uh, We don't know if Brandon cooks is in the long-term plan. Like he, he has a contract, but the team could get out of the contract after one year uh, with relatively little pain. So they might choose to do that. We really just don't know, but uh, what we do know is since uh, the firing of their head coach, so over his past four games, Brandon Cooks has 12, 9, 9, and 9 targets. Uh, 372 yards receiving, three touchdowns. Granted, it's you know a small sample, so I don't want to put too much weight on it. Even if you just look at the entire season to this point, we're still looking at a guy who's pacing for his fifth 1,000-yard his fifth season. And people, like, just kind of act like Brandon cooks is nobody. And yet he's on his way to his fifth 1000 yard season. Um, if he actually does stay in Houston. And if we see Will Fuller leave, which I think there's a decent chance that happens. Uh, I mean, he's looking like the number one receiver for a quarterback who's really good. And by the way, he's already the number one receiver just in terms of volume. You know, he has a, a 23% target share uh, on the season Will Fuller has a 20% target share. Like Cooks he has been outperformed uh just in terms of, you know, actual overall production by Will Fuller, but Cooks is the guy uh that the offense is relying on more.
3: Yeah, that's uh, a a very fair point. Uh yeah, so I do find myself actually fairly optimistic especially in the short term about Cooks. Uh let's move to are you panicking? uh mark andrews has not gone over 6.2 points in the last three weeks no touchdowns in that time period and his highest yardage was 32 people are starting to worry about this passing game uh, for players like marquise brown who we've talked about maybe not getting the level of usage that he needs from a rest of season perspective matt are you panicking if you're a mark andrews owner
1: yes uh i probably am which is probably the like counterintuitive sign that everything is okay and that it's time to buy or that like, if you have him, you should hold. Um, Cause I just, I, you know, tend to be the donkey who uh, is the, the counter indicator on stuff like this, but yeah, it, it is troubling. It really is troubling that Mark Andrews has not been able to capitalize. And I don't think a lot of it is his fault. I think it's just that this entire offense, especially in the passing game has taken a step back. Uh, They're not playing as uh, with the pace that they had. So they're not running as many plays uh, and they're still running the ball at a very high rate. So just fewer passing opportunities Uh, and because they're not playing quite as efficiently, uh, Andrews, isn't getting the, you know, the red zone and end zone targets that he had in previous years. So it's just an overall negative situation for Andrews. Uh, And I still think he's really talented, um, but If if you think this offense will figure out its problems, especially in the passing game, then now is the time to buy Andrews. If you think that they're not going to figure it out this year, you know, if you're like a a quarterback guru and and you're just like Mm -hmm. paying attention to this offense or you're breaking down what's happening with Lamar Jackson and you think no, like this guy is not the passer that he needs to be to sustain the passing game, then uh, I think you you act accordingly with Andrews and you probably sell for what you can get.
3: Wow. Um, We can talk about him very quickly. Melvin Gordon kind of trending down the last three weeks. We've seen his carries decrease. Did get seven targets last week, but just one against the Falcons with just six rushing attempts. Uh, If you're a Gordon owner from a relative perspective here, are you panicking?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think so. It, It helps that Philip Lindsay hasn't really been, uh, consistently on the field. And then when on the field, like he's, he's had flashes, but he hasn't really been consistent. So you would still expect to see Melvin Gordon overall be the leader in the backfield, but, uh, it's not a very enticing backfield right now.
3: Yeah, definitely not. All right. Adam Thielen, uh, trending downward the last three weeks, just 14 targets uh from a ppr point perspective 14.15.75.8 uh justin jefferson hasn't been really putting together great performances either a lot of that has to do with dalvin cook just absolutely murdering things uh but are you panicking about adam thielen returning um you know decent numbers in the second half of the season
1: Uh, I wouldn't say I'm panicking because I'm, you know, like putting it in the context of that offense, just being able to run the ball uh, against the Packers and against the Lions. Um, But it is, yeah, it is disconcerting to know that the offense is totally fine running the ball, not throwing playing at a very slow pace because that will just, you know, by necessity result in fewer opportunities for the receivers. Uh, and you know, most teams don't want to do that. Like they, they want to play at a faster pace. They do believe that the passing game is more efficient. And so they want to pass when they have the opportunity to do so. Uh, the Vikings are just, uh, I mean, totally going against that. And so it's negative from that perspective for Thielen, but you just, you have to keep in mind the Vikings are not going to be able to do that every game. Uh, and so when they get into the position of needing to pass, Thielen is, you know, one of the, the better receivers in the
3: game. I mean, I'd say like a, a high end wide receiver too when he's getting the targets. Got it. So speaking of uh, wide receivers too, wide receiver twos, and I want to look at this now from a fantasy perspective. Let's talk about McColl Hardman. And I want to know, do you ever think that he puts together a wide receiver two season? I think he's a player that's pretty talented, but he plays in an offense that is so good, but that's because they have so many talented players. We've seen Hardman producing spots, but if you're somebody that owns Hardman in dynasty and you're expecting a wide receiver two season to materialize at some point, should you be? Do you think it can happen, Matt? Not actually, let me say, I'm going to phrase it like this. Not can it happen? Will it happen?
1: Mm, no, I don't, think so I don't think so.
3: Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen.
1: It, it, it could happen. Right. But I don't think it will happen because, uh, Tyree Hill is there, uh, and Travis Kelsey is still there and they are content to run the ball a little bit more. At least they have been this season. And, uh, I mean, who knows what happens with Sammy Watkins? Like this is probably his last year there, but, um, I just don't think that there's going to be enough opportunities Uh, given the other guys there and how dominant that they are. uh, Hardman will, I think, always be a big play threat, but I don't think he will ever have, uh, at least in Kansas City, a wide receiver two season. And like, if he leaves Kansas City, then I really don't think it's going to happen because I think that's his best opportunity to do it.
3: Right. I would agree with that because it does seem like the offense that's going to be able to use him in the way that would make the most sense. And he really from if you look at the numbers and you just kind of like go on like a week-to-week basis it's really hard to say that he's done much to assert himself over demarcus robinson um which I, i think you know is another thing that uh makes the odds of him reaching that wide receiver to uh uh peak kind of difficult um Continuing along, talking about players that we're optimistic about, how optimistic are you? And I'm going to group these two players together because they've both been crushing the last couple of weeks. Well, really all season for Kyler Murray, but how optimistic are you about Kyler Murray and Christian Kirk moving forward? I mean, Kyler Murray, uh, extremely
1: optimistic. And I don't think it's even, I don't think it even qualifies as optimistic at this point. I think it just, it qualifies as like uh, a realistic evaluation of what he's done to this point. Uh, and given what he did in college and the you know, draft capital he has invested in him, the situation he's in, the players around him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's very realistic to look at him and be like, this guy's a locked in, I mean, top five fantasy quarterback at a minimum each week, but you know, probably more like top three. Uh, he's just been amazing, especially as a runner. And uh, I mean, I don't think anyone can, can really do what we saw out of uh, Lamar Jackson last year. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing that's kind of great about Kyler is that he's scoring all of the touchdowns on the ground. So he doesn't need to get all of that ridiculous yardage uh, in order really to, to outpace what we saw out of Lamar Jackson as a runner last year. Uh, and then as a passer, uh, he clearly has an edge over Lamar Jackson. So uh, very enthusiastic about Kyler Murray. Christian Kirk... Um, I don't know, like part of me just kind of wants to think that like, this is uh very random and I think uh, some of it is, but like at the same time, uh, you can't, you can't bench him. Like if you have him, you have to start him at this point because it's, it feels like, uh, stretches where like, think of Will Fuller whenever he would just get hot and it would feel like every game he was scoring a long touchdown. Like that's where we are with Christian Kirk, um, you just, you have to start him if you have him. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like I, again, I feel pessimistic about Kirk, but
3: I'm probably wrong. Fair enough. And, and I want to make one point here on Kyler Murray. Uh, if you have not gone and looked at that man's game log do it and then just marvel at those rushing touchdowns it's insane uh and then also uh, the thing i found uh, encouraging about murray is even if you were to strip away the rushing uh rushing production the way that the team is just playing offensively and using him as a passer as well i think is really encouraging um evan engram has been trending in the right direction he's been a tight end one now for three weeks running does he finish the season strong and make his way into the top six of tight end rankings right now he's around 10 or 11 to spend uh depending upon the specifics of scoring systems. Uh, So some of this, I guess, really speaks to if the Giants and Daniel Jones are able to support him down the stretch. I don't think so, but at the
1: same time, he's being targeted so heavily that it would be almost impossible for him not to finish if he maintains this volume and the Giants seem really hellbent on giving him these targets. Uh, Which, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. Like, Who else are they going to throw to? Uh, I mean, even though they have guys who in theory uh, are talented, I don't really know if they actually are talented. Uh, so I guess go to Evan Ingram and, uh, you know, volume fuel his way to a, uh, a mid range tight end one performance. But even then, like, I don't know, I don't want to be excited about a guy who's getting, you know, five, six, five yards per target over his past (laughs) three games like he has 5.2 yards per target on the season. Uh if he gets enough volume, sure that actually means something. Uh and he's he's getting the volume. It's unreal. Like I mean he's pacing for you know around like 120-ish targets, something like that. Um but I don't I don't know, man. I just I think he's the way he's being used in this offense is really uninspiring. And so uh, I don't know. I just kind of don't know what to say. Like the volume makes up for everything, but like, he's not a player I want to roster.
3: Yeah. I hear that. And you know, honestly, when, um, I was thinking through the question, I was like, we have not really talked about Evan Engram, which I wanted to, but it was, it just kind of felt like one of those words, like who really cares? Because, um, you know, some of it just kind of speaks to the, fact that he's a tight end and the production just isn't that great from a fantasy perspective. And it's hard to get excited about a player in New York, but at the same time, you can't turn your nose up at that volume. But really, he's a player that I don't think anybody was going to be dropping. And I don't think that people are going to be going out and acquiring Engram. And I don't think that we'd make a case that you, you know, really need to go and do that. Uh, But let's talk about another tight end Hayden Hurst. We have not checked in on him much and how he is performing. In Atlanta, uh, his last three games has seen a spike in targets, has gone for seven, seven and eight, has done a decent job of completing them. No touchdowns, but has gone for more than 50 yards uh, in all of those games. Right now, he ranks um, eighth in PPR per game for tight end. So I think he's kind of approximating what people were hoping he'd be able to do in Atlanta.
1: He's doing a very nice 2018 Austin Hooper impersonation like he's pretty much pacing for what Hooper did two years ago. Uh, that's totally fine. Like respectable mid range tight end one production. Like it's not anything that really like changes, uh, your ability to win on a week to week basis, but he doesn't put you in a hole at the position, which at this point is, is big on its own.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think that he's done much to have anybody make the case that he is a really good tight end. But I think he's shown if you put him in the right offense, he can function. Uh, So I think that his dynasty value, like probably a lot of tight ends, will be highly tied to the team that he's on. And there are a lot of good players in um, Atlanta's offense. So I'm not sure that he'd be able to do much to get himself more differentiated in it. But uh, overall, I think it's been an OK season for him. Any other major takeaways you wanted to talk about from Week Nine before we close things down, Matt? Uh,
1: I I don't think so. Although I, I think it's worth thinking about the uh, the Baltimore Ravens running back situation a little bit. Yep. Um, I don't believe Mark Ingram practiced at all last week. Uh, let me double we'll check that really quick. But I think even though he was like listed as doubtful, uh, yeah, he didn't practice at all. And so yep. my feeling is that like, he's probably still at least like a week, maybe two weeks away, but we could still have another situation of uh, Gus Edwards and JK Dobbins. And although it didn't seem all that inspiring this past week, uh, I don't know. Like I'm still, I'm still interested in both of those guys, especially Edwards who like is the unsexier of the two, but who is the one who's locked in for goal line work uh, you know, he has at least 10 carries in a touchdown in each of the past three games. And as long as, uh, Mark Ingram is out, I think we're guaranteed to see Edwards have double digit carries and historically in his career, when he's had 10 plus carries, he's done pretty well because he tends to be a pretty efficient runner. Uh, I think he's going to get those carries. And I think he's still the guy who's ticketed for the goal line, uh, and, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued by what he could do, uh, in this upcoming week.
3: Yeah. I think that, um, it feels weird for me to say, and I I think that this is a position I've held now for a while is that Edwards is the one that I would rather have, though. I really do feel like at any given point, JK Dobbins could just go off and absolutely explode in the game and then maybe even sustain that, um, for the time being, we've seen Edwards and Dobbins getting pretty similar usage. And at this point, it feels like Edwards is the one you slate in for those higher quality opportunities. So as a result, I'm just going to stick with Edwards um, because I'm not even convinced, Matt, that if Dobbins does do something in one game to really set himself apart from Edwards, that they're going to just all of a sudden give the offense to Dobbins. I think that they want to keep two backs huh. involved.
1: I I think it will always be a split situation. So even if Dobbins goes off next game, I think we're still going to see Edwards have 10 carries and the goal line opportunities. And I mean, against new England this next week, uh, and I think it's Sunday night football, uh, you know, the Ravens are favored. Uh, I I mean, I I could see a situation where like Edwards has multiple touchdowns uh, or at least like between the running backs, they have multiple touchdowns.
3: All right. Well, there you go, everybody. Uh, Edwards is the back that you want in Baltimore. That does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Indeed and BetOnline for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Football is back in swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. AG, that's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sports book experts.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings. A four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance.